0: and welcome back to the frogs of war podcast i'm anthony north that's russ hodges we're here to talk all things tcu athletics and uh frogs have a new offensive coordinator and there are takes russ how are you doing tonight
1: hanging in there it's been a busy week at work uh starting to warm up a little bit not feeling we're in January, but it's not really feeling like winter up here in the Chicagoland area. We're getting into the into the 40s and, and 50s. It's a little odd getting a little thrown off. I feel like it's spring already, and the the winter sports season's kind of flying by right now. So uh, things have been super busy, but uh, yes, we have some, some takes to get into for sure on, on the big news that has broken this week.
0: Yes. So, of course, last week we talked about TCU offensive coordinator for the 2022 season, Garrett Riley, moving on to Clemson to take the the same role there under Dabo Sweeney. The role at TCU under Sonny Dykes has been filled since then uh, with former Arkansas offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles. Uh, Yes, last name Bryles. Uh, Spent the last three seasons at Arkansas, um, before that with Florida State under Willie Taggart, uh, the year that got Taggart fired at Florida State, Um, at Houston in 2018, I believe the year that Major Applewhite got fired at Houston, potentially, Uh, and then before that with Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. Um, There was a reason he... Uh, you probably know him. He was also the Baylor offensive coordinator, uh, for several years under his father, Art Bryles, uh, through the 2016 season. Um, and that was a a dark period of time off the field, uh, for the Baylor program, the Baylor football program. Um, they certainly had a lot of success on the field during that time, um, You'll you'll probably read lots of information about Briles' success as a play caller and a QB developer and and how he runs an offense and and certainly um, his time at Baylor and some of his time since has been successful on the field, um, but there there is a a black cloud that follows his name and him as he. Uh, Travels throughout college football and continues to be given opportunities to, uh, be a leader of men on a college campus. Um, the, the TCU fan base is, is pretty split on this. I think there's, there's a, a strong, um, a very strong position against Kendall Bryles, against anyone associated with that Baylor regime and, and, uh, the sexual assault scandal that that took place there and the kind of toxic uh, culture that was built around the program. Um, Kendall Bryles has not really addressed his role uh, in that. Uh, certainly he was, uh, again, in a, a very high leadership position um, at the university with the football program during that period. Um, and And the other side of the coin is uh sunny dykes has some level of trust in him and has brought him in to to lead this offense going forward and and bring it to what they must think is is the next step to uh to winning some football games so um we'll give some thoughts here. I imagine we'll have some thoughts on the website uh coming soon there there still has not been a formal anything on social media and nothing from Coach Dykes, nothing from uh the athletic department, the athletic director. There's been a simple press release that's kind of just been uh shot out to the media and, and posted on GoFrog. So um Russ, how do how do you feel? What what what's the take on uh new TCU offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a, a polarizing hire for sure and a polarizing decision when you gauge how TCU fans are reacting. There are, I think, a lot more fans who are against this than there are for it. And I think the fans who are against it have uh, varying degrees of uh, anger about this for for many reasons. And I will go ahead and put myself out there and say I'm probably in the uh, in the minority that I'm not going to say that I will, you know, explicitly support the hiring of Kendall Bryles. But I will say that I trust in what Sonny Dykes is trying to build at TCU and how he is leading the program right now, the way that he speaks to people the way he addresses the media, the coaches that he has brought in, the way they've turned the program around. He's earned my trust as a fan and as an alum for what it's worth as the associate editor at Frogs of War doing this podcast. Um, But even beyond that, you know, Jeremiah Donati is the athletic director since taking over for Chris Del Conte. I think has really done a tremendous job and has brought in uh, quality coaches across all of the athletic programs and has helped turn around multiple athletic programs, not just football has retained coaches who are well respected and well liked by fans and student athletes and has obviously done great things for, for the university in terms of its facilities. And, um, I trust him as well. You know, both of those guys have earned my trust. And if they came together and put a process forward and came to the conclusion that they believe Kendall Bryles is the best fit, I trust their judgment. You know, I have no reason not to trust either of them at this point. And I think anybody who is upset about this is angry about it, is outraged about it, is absolutely within their rights to feel that way. You know, I'm not going to be the guy who is immediately dismissive of an opposing viewpoint. Unfortunately, there has been a lot of that on social media. We've seen a lot of fans uh, going back and forth, and it's a little disappointing to see that, to be honest, and to see a uh, sometimes lack of civil discourse regarding this issue. It's important to understand alternate viewpoints. And there are going to be folks who agree with the move and disagree with the move. And that's that's good. You know, that's totally fine. That's a product of having good civil discourse. And for me, I'm still going to support TCU. I'm still going to support the football program. I'm not attempting to be dismissive of anything that may or may not have transpired at Baylor while Kendall Bryles was there. Um, what I would like to see, though, and Anthony, you brought it up, how the university has you know, put out a press release to the media. The press release is on GoFrogs.com if you want to go look it up and, and read what it says for yourself. But they've been very quiet about this, and that rubs me the wrong way because – I think to hire someone like Kendall Bryles, if you're going to do that, you know, take it on, o- own it a hundred percent and be as transparent about the hiring and the process that went into the hiring, be be as transparent about that process as you can be, you know, in, in a perfect world. And, and at this stage, I don't know if this is going to happen, which would be even more disappointing. Make him available to the media, make Sonny Dykes available to the media, make Jeremiah Donati available to the media, and allow them to talk to the fans who feel betrayed by this or upset with this, and allow them to explain, this is what we did, these are the people we spoke with, this is why we feel that Kendall Biles is a good addition to TCU football, and allow the media to ask whatever questions they need to ask about, you know, it could be stuff about what happened at Baylor or why they feel Kendall Bryles is a good fit with TCU and the culture that the university and the football program are trying to build. That's what I would like to see. Unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to, we're going to get that based off of the, the level of, uh, I guess, media, what they've put out thus far about the news. You know, we, we kind of knew that this was coming. It's been reported by multiple sources earlier this week, uh, including 247 Sports, who's been all over it. So I think fans had been preparing for the Kendall Bryles decision to be official. Now that it's official, I think TCU should just come out and, and, and talk to us and explain to us, you know, why they feel this is a good move. And that would make me feel more comfortable as a as a fan, as a as an alum, and everything. But I mean, spring ball is month and a half, two months away. I'd rather not have to wait until then for people to get the chance to actually talk to him. Um, you're making a decision that is clearly a polarizing one, um, one which I personally don't have a significant problem with, but. Own it, you know. Own it a hundred percent, and and talk to us, and and share with us just what went into the process and everything. And um, and one last thing that I'll add before I, I hand it back to you, Anthony, is let's not let's not tear each other down about this. Um, as fans, you know, we all love TCU. We're all passionate about TCU football and TCU athletics. Let's not uh get into Debates that turn into fights on social media where people are just uh, throwing lame insults and uh, dismissive arguments at each other. You know, let's have honest discussions about this and let's be respectful of each other. And, you know, we'll go from there.
0: Yeah. On on that, I think you couldn't have created a better. I don't know disinformation campaign or psyops or false flag to to tear down uh, all the goodwill that that TCU had had built up uh, nationally and internal with its fan base. I think uh, TCU had a very very fun season together, um, embracing this role as a, a silly underdog, the hypno toad, all of the uh, Twitter and on army was, was all fun and games. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's my first thought as I go through the stages of grief, um, on this situation and uh, I'm probably in wherever, I don't know, rage. Um, but as, as I was in the, uh, denial disbelief phase, I was like, is this, yeah, is it, does our daily bears have some Russian bots out there? Uh, you know, just trying to to have different factions of TCU fans tear at each other because, yeah, I mean that's that's what's happening right now is is uh, online. There's there's quite a bit of infighting, and it's you know it's not really about um, TCU. All these people who love TCU, it's it's about um, you know these. Yeah. If I hear the phrase like virtue signaling or that kind of thing that like take that back to your, your politics, uh, A and on accounts that you have. Uh, we don't, we don't need to see that in, in, in the college football, uh, conversation space. I think, yeah, pe- people are, are, um, getting defensive and other people are being on the attack. And that's, that's really unfortunate. Um, and I guess that brings to the, uh, you knew that would happen. Sonny Dykes, you knew, Jeremiah uh, Donati, you knew that this would be the response. That's why you've been silent on it. That's why you leaked it through the media over a holiday weekend. That's why it's been sitting there unconfirmed for a week. And you did it anyway. Um, because you wanted to. This is, this is what you wanted. This is the person you wanted to bring in for whatever football reasons, knowing that it would tear TCU fans apart. So, and, you know, I, I'll need to go back and dig into all the stats. Um, I know there's been some of that. There's some of that in the press release. Uh, but from a football standpoint, is it is it worth it? Is Kendall Bryles worth tearing apart your fan base? What what does he bring that you can't get from anywhere else to win football games? And how much of that winning um, papers over bandages up the the wounds that are going to be caused uh, by making this hire? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a more than fair question to ask, and that's why it's a little frustrating right now that we haven't really heard much more from from JD and and from Sonny about this. And there were some other names I know that were brought up on on social media. Uh, Seth Luttrell was one of them. There were a few others, and um, I guess from from my standpoint, when you look at just h- how quickly things moved with Garrett Riley and Clemson and how quickly he was out of there. And uh, some of the guys that were available or maybe not available, not sure if TCU being kind of late in the cycle had anything to do with it considering we made it to the national championship game and some programs have, you know, had their off season, you know, three, four weeks underway already. But I mean, I guess when you look at the names that are out there, I have to believe that there are legitimate football reasons and maybe even non football reasons to bring Kendall Bryles in. Um otherwise he wouldn't be a candidate and now ultimately the the finalist for the job and I, I want to know that. You know, I, I want J D and Sonny or even Kendall himself to Talk to us and and tell us about what went into the process and what he can bring that makes him the clear cut best choice for the job and is he the right man for the job and is it, it's just it's a little frustrating right now that we haven't gotten that and I know I'm I'm kind of beating the the dead horse there but um like you said TCU can't just kind of sit on its hands about this, you know, they, they gotta be proactive and to, to help calm some of that infighting that's going on with, with fans right now and build, build some of that confidence back in, in the head football coach and the athletic director by just sharing with us what, what your vision is, I guess, for, for next year's team and, and how Kendall Bryles fits in with that vision.
0: Yeah, and I mean I think Kendall Bryles is a name even if his name wasn't his name, if it was just Coach X, and he has a resume that that has been built and, and that does carry some weight to it. Um, you know, but I don't know that Garrett Riley, who also has a name that carries whatever baggage the Riley name carries, but um but did not have that kind of a resume and came in and took this team to Uh, the national championship and Max Duggan to the Heisman stage. Um, And so, you know, I don't, I don't think at least for this past season, Sonny Dyke showed that this could work without someone with the kind of resume that Kendall Bryles has. Um, So, uh, you know, all of the, we have faith in Sonny, we have faith in Sonny. Well, I have faith in Sonny to, do the same thing with anybody he brought in um, any, it, it wouldn't have mattered if it's Latrell or somebody we've never heard of, or, you know, you, you didn't have to do this is the thing. And and you did. So we, we need to understand why that is. And I guess the other piece of it is uh, what's going to be good enough next so i i think Sonny dykes had built up a a kind of a a huge war chest of goodwill with tcu um a you know just in this one season he built himself he could probably be with tcu for many 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 years um you know i i I'm not going to say for a lifetime because we would have thought the same about Gary Patterson and that, that ended up fading, but that took 20 years. Um, Sonny Dykes had built that up, but now he's, he's really gone out on a limb here Um, Mm -hmm. to say winning football games is the thing that matters most to me at TCU, which that's his job. His job is to go and win football games, Mm -hmm. but That is now the thing. That is the only thing. The culture, the fan base, the alumni, the current students, the future potential students. None of it matters but winning the next football games. So uh, that has taken away some of his his buffer, I think. I think he's now in a position where TCU's got to win right away uh, and win big. Um, I think TCU fans would have expected a bit of a come down, um, in this 23 season and would have continued to, to forgive, uh, even me- mediocre play, uh, going forward. Uh, but now you don't, you don't have that leash in my opinion. Uh, and, and maybe that's just me, but I think you've, you've completely eliminated your leash. Um, and the next two seasons have to, you have to win a big 12 championship. Um, and that's, that's probably not the bar that would have been set. Uh, otherwise I, I think uh, that's, and, and if I'm way off, that's just where I am with it right now is, is you are now put yourself in a position where winning is, is obviously the goal, but now it's the only goal. And you have to win. And if you don't, Bryles has to go. And then if you don't, soon after that, we might be on another head coaching search.
1: So one thing I want to ask you you know, before we move on is some fans who have been in support of Bryles, a common argument that I've seen is, well, TCU hired Kaz Kazadi. And Kaz was on Baylor staff uh, under Art Bryles. He worked for Art Bryles. And he has been kind of viewed at times as one of the most important assistants on Sonny's staff right now with what he's done in the strength and conditioning department. And not only that, but when you see what TCU is trying to do now in terms of its football facility and its strength and conditioning facilities and the wide-scale renovations and construction and improvements that they're trying to make, who was the man that was in the video to kind of tease it? It was Kaz Kazati. And I guess, I personally don't think it's exactly fair to directly compare Kaz Kazadi to Kendall Bryles, but with how TCU has seemed to really buy into Kaz and his vision for TCU football and uh, TCU athletics, what what are your thoughts on just the TCU-hired Kaz, so why not? Hire Kendall Bryles. What are your thoughts yeah. on just that argument and that comparison?
0: Yeah, for sure. I and and I hear that. I see that a lot as well. And and my position on bringing in Kaz Kazadi a year ago was was pretty clear. And that's before you know any. Not that anybody cares what I have to say today, but that's before I, I was in a more prominent role here at frogs of war that's before i was doing anything like this but even then you know i was getting cooked online for that um for my my position on that which was um you know you you can't just come out and say the word vetted and all right got it the end uh you can't just say well that's uh that's from the past, like it's some bygone era, uh, you know, back when Sammy ball was playing. Um, you know, this was, this was not that long ago. And I I think the athletic department did a poor job of handling his, uh, his hire a year ago. And, and I think, you know, he's not as prominent a guy. I mean, Strength and conditioning is very important on field. It's very important in the development of the players, and and uh, clearly, it was a huge impact to this team and, and the success that they had on the field. There's no question about that. The the injury difference from uh you know during the the Gary Patterson era to just this season, um you know the injuries, the the stamina, the the performance on field, no question. He was a success in his role. Um, but that's not the prominent position of offensive coordinator for TCU. It's not the name Bryles and, and, you know, what, whatever you have to say about it again, Kendall Bryles was the offensive coordinator for that art Bryles team. Um, he was a very famous, prominent person making a lot of money and he's about to be a very famous, prominent person in the Fort Worth community, making millions of dollars, to coach football, um, and and so there is a little bit of difference, and and I think that it would have cleared the way easier for this if the athletic department had addressed this a year ago when it brought on Kazadi. I think if it, it set a precedent of well, we can just do this, and people will forget about it in six months when we play Colorado. Um, maybe they will again this year too. Maybe maybe we come to September and nobody cares. And hopefully we just send Deion Sanders home with a loss and move on. Maybe that's the way people feel, but I don't see that happening. Um, yeah. This is just way more yeah. prominent.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really see that. I, I don't see this really fading into the background um, as quickly as the cause uh, hiring did. But the the one thing, you know, obviously I've said, I'd like immediate transparency on this, but as we saw during spring ball and really what we've seen from TCU since Sonny Dykes took over is there has been a greater level of transparency with the media and, media members being able to come to more practices and doing more featurey, you know, spotlight type of content with all of the assistant coaches. I remember during spring ball last year, every position coach got like a two or three minute video where they talked about what they had seen during spring ball. And they showed some clips with them working with the players and they gave their thoughts on, you know, where the where the players are at, and where they feel like the team is at, what type of team they feel they can be, I don't want TCU to be hiding Kendall Briles away from that kind of stuff. You know, I, I want this to be the same transparent, fun, lively football team that we saw this past year. And, you know, that extends to the, the Carter Boys docuseries that we got this year. And you know, Kendall Bryles is going to be a face for this football team in, in some way. And if the team's approach is going to be to basically, you know, try and keep him off of social media or keep him out of video content or whatever, that's just going to make it even more awkward for fans and for people who support the team
0: Um Yeah, I think there's, I I think there's just, yeah, there's just no way for it to be that fun again. I think, I think we got one season of fun TCU football and no matter what happens, no matter how successful this team is this year, you will have to mention in the same sentence, Kendall Bryles and all of the baggage that comes with saying the name Kendall Bryles. Um, yeah, all of those wonderful national media people who get to come and 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 feature things at TCU. One of their first questions is going to be about Kendall Bryles and about what he's doing to promote a an atmosphere and environment of uh that that is different than the one that he promoted um very clearly at Baylor. At that you and because of the history between TCU and Baylor, it's just going to be so amplified. I mean, that will be I, I mean, I, I imagine every national media organization will send somebody in to TCU if TCU lets them to do that story. and any any story that they're going to talk about, Chandler Morris or uh, you know Jordan Hudson, and any story that's going to come out of TCU football is going to include a bullet point, a question about Kendall Bryles. So they're, they're, there's no escaping it. So either they're going to lock the doors like it's Gary Patterson era, or they're going to have to address it. And they better figure it out quick. Mm-hmm. All right. We can move on from that. I know we talked before the uh, before we recorded that we didn't want to spend all day talking about this, so uh, we'll we'll cut it off there. And and just to say that, you know, Kendall Bryles is coming into a TCU team that is is very different from its twenty twenty two version. Uh, lots of NFL declarations, uh, people leaving in the transfer portal. Uh, and and a few announcing their stays. So I guess Russ, you want to take us through some of this that that we've seen, and we can chat through it.
1: Yeah, it's a a little depressing looking at the list of players that are going to be uh, in the draft. It's very it's very bittersweet uh, losing some of these guys. the The following players have declared for the 2023 NFL Draft: Quentin Johnston, Kendra Miller. Both of them declared on the 16th, which I believe was the deadline for. Uh, draft-eligible players to announce their uh, declarations formally for the draft. Uh, Darius Davis will be going to the draft along with Amari DiMercato, Max Duggan, Steve Avila, Alana Lee, D. Winters, Travius Hodges, Tomlinson. Uh, Dylan Horton has not put out a uh, social media post like all these other guys have, but he is playing in the uh, Reese's Senior Bowl coming up along with Avila, Duggan, and Darius Davis, so uh, he will he will be in the draft too. Just uh, maybe hasn't had anyone cook him up a sick edit yet. But uh, so, some great players on this list, obviously guys who I, I think when you look at this list, almost if not all of these guys uh, are going to get drafted. I could see maybe one or two of them signing undrafted free agent contracts, but um congratulations obviously to all of these guys and it's it's going to be tough especially on the offensive side of the ball I mean a lot of these guys are starters and then you look at the running back room Kendra Miller is going to be gone Amari Di Mercado is going to be gone so that's your top two running backs uh, Darius Davis uh, Tay Barber was also uh, a starter you know those two guys kind of split time at that H slot position and then Quentin Johnston so three of your uh, leading receivers are going to be leaving and your your basically your interior offensive line is going to be gone between Steve Avila and Alana Lee, but also Wes Harris, who's a sixth year senior. So uh Kendall Brawles is gonna be inheriting a offense that is going to have a lot of turnover, not only at the quarterback position with Max Duggan going to the draft, but also uh running backs, receivers, and interior linemen uh go into the draft as well.
0: Yeah, I'm uh Really excited to see what what's next for these guys um, and which of them, I guess, get invites to the combine as well. I think that's a next big step, I think. So we've got, you know, the some of these are going to the Senior Bowl. Some are going to East-West Shrine game or the Collegiate Bowl or, you know, some next opportunity to showcase their skills. But really that, that combine is the next big one. And then uh, TCU's Pro Day as well will be interesting to see how these guys move around the board. I think, um, yeah, I mean, Amari DiMarcado and Darius Davis are probably the ones that are, are most near the cut line just uh, for size, for age. Um, but if they, you know, Darius Davis has a skill that you can't teach. His speed um, is one of a kind. So, you know, we've seen Kevante Turpin get a chance in the NFL with the Cowboys. Um, So I, I would, Tend to think that uh, Davis's speed gets him drafted. Um, we'll see. I'm hoping to uh, line my closet with Quentin Johnston Tennessee Titans jerseys, uh, and then then maybe some Max Duggan, Tennessee Titan jerseys as well. That's that's what that's what I'm looking forward To uh, we, I don't think the Titans have drafted a uh, a, uh, a Horn Frog ever. Um, maybe Josh Caraway. I think was an unsigned free agent. Uh, or undrafted free yeah, agent. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So ho- hopefully whoever the, I, I think the Titans just, uh, signed a, a new GM. So come on, come on to the pro day and, uh, come take some of these guys.
1: Yeah. You know, Max Duggan, he might be better than Malik Willis right now. I mean, he, he's definitely worth a look for, for Tennessee and, uh, trading AJ Brown away. Hasn't really worked out. No. Too well so far, so uh, maybe you can get your hands on on a Quentin Johnston, and uh, you can pair him with Traylon Burks, and hopefully get something cooking there in Tennessee.
0: That's nice. Well, uh, there will be some returners for uh, for this TCU offense. So, uh, got some good news with um, tight ends Jared Wiley and Jorquarius Spivey both announcing their return for the 2023 season. Uh, both seniors. Could have could have uh, gone ahead and hit the NFL, uh, but we'll run it back another year uh, with the Horn Frogs. So really excited to see uh, what what they're able to do. Hopefully, this new offense will use them to to even greater degree. I think both are are good uh, in in the receiving game and in the blocking game. So they they've been very strong for for TCU thus far, and and will be kind of the anchors of this offense next year and and really holding things down some of the the lone uh elder statesman um on the field for the frogs also returning is Griffin Kell the kicker uh the hero from the Baylor game and and really uh strong performance throughout the season and and continues to improve so um you know the the old you know cliche of the college kicker i don't think uh, applies to him so i think Generally, TCU fans are are not too worried when he steps up there. Um, it's it's really big to get him back for this team as well.
1: Yeah, I know Griffin Kell. I looked at his numbers when I did my little write up on him coming back, and he made over eighty nine percent of his kicks this year, and it was a career high by a pretty significant margin. Um, his first couple seasons, he was in the in the mid to upper seventies, so. He, he was first-team All-Big 12, was, in my opinion, the best kicker in in the Big 12 right up there with uh, the kicker from Oklahoma State. Um, his name is slipping my mind right now, but both guys were fantastic in that game. Uh, Griffin Kell hit a 54-yarder, career-long against Iowa State. Obviously, the hypno toe in a hurry. Uh, working on getting right up there with Jaden Oberchrome as uh, being a couple of the best kickers in, in the history of TCU football, so... Uh, Definitely big to get him back. Um, Be curious to see if Jordy Sandy comes back. He's also a senior. Could also use a COVID year. Uh, Hasn't put anything out on on social media yet. But I'm sure there will be a a decision to to be made there. Wiley and Spivey, um, I was rooting for for these two guys to come back. I was unsure about Spivey just because he was a redshirt senior. But uh, Jared Wiley was a guy who I thought was just whenever his number was called, it seemed like he always came through with a, with a big grab, whether it was something short or something over the middle. He was a, a big time security blanket for, for Max Duggan this year and really had a career year in his first season at, at TCU. So to, to be a senior and take COVID year and come back is, is obviously huge. I think uh tight end had these two guys, gone to the draft, I think tight end would be a pretty uh, lacking position for TCU in terms of depth, but it, it's definitely clutch to have both of those guys coming back. And Spivey, I think, is someone who can be used a little bit more as well. Both are big physical guys. You know, Wiley is 6'7", 255. Spivey is 6'5", 245. And uh, Spivey is kind of that hybrid tight end, wide receiver, that Y-slot guy in the air raid offense, whereas Jared Wiley's your main tight end. So they're used a little bit differently, and I'll be intrigued to see with how much turnover there is at the wide receiver position with transfers coming in and uh, a big-time four-star recruit like Cordell Russell coming in, but also losing some really talented guys like Quentin Johnston. Um, interested to see how the the two tight ends are, are utilized next season.
0: Yep. So also transfer portal updates. So the transfer portal for this period, this open window uh, in winter officially closed on the 18th of January. Um, So all the, the underclassmen transfers had to have declared um, during that period. So uh, no declares until the post-spring window opens in May, uh, but uh, I guess grad transfers can still declare, and also anyone who's already in the portal uh, can still make their decision about where, where they end up committing. So um, all of those uncommitted transfer portal people still could be some news, but um, you, you won't get that flurry of news of a bunch of people just flooding the portal that window has closed. So, uh, for the Horn Frogs did lose a few, um, and and some interesting names and some that were some big time recruits that had, uh, a lot of, a lot of hope for them, but didn't really get that opportunity and, and didn't make it happen on the field. Uh, we already had talked about the, the Sam Jackson, uh, move to California, uh, the quarterback, Um, but in the last week, since we last talked into the portal have gone defensive end, Colt Ellison corner, Keon Stewart, uh, let's see corner Marvin Covington, another corner safety, Diarco Perkins, McAllister shout out Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, (laughs) let's see. And also wide receiver, Caleb Medford and wide receiver Quincy Brown. Um, I think. To me the one that I I'm most kind of torn up about here is Quincy Brown. I think he had an opportunity here uh with with all the departures to really step into a big role for the Frogs. Um he he had a really great game against Charlton State and unfortunately uh, suffered an injury on a, a touchdown there in the second game of the season. Um and we that was a season ender for him. And so we we won't get to see him for the Horn Frogs next year and uh, I'm kind of bummed out about it. I was I, I saw big things for his future with the Frogs.
1: Yeah, Quincy Brown really caught my eye uh, during the Baylor game last year. He he made a couple of really nice grabs in that game. Has really nice size for the position. 6'4", 210 pounds, was a, a big-time four-star recruit. I think was actually kind of a surprise signing for for TCU as a part of that recruiting class but had a really nice game against Tarleton State had three catches for 31 yards two touchdowns that second touchdown was a really athletic leaping grab in the end zone unfortunately I think he just came down real awkwardly on his ankle and missed the remainder of the season with that injury it's just unfortunate and I think this applies to Diarco Perkins McAllister as well who was a four-star recruit There's just so much talent at the receiver position. When you look at who's coming back, you have Savion Williams, who's going to be a senior, former four-star guy, big body at 6'5". You have Jordan Hudson coming back, who's a big-time player who I think is going to wind up being a starter for TCU next year. Cordell Russell, who's another big-time four-star recruit, played in the All-American game, has really good size at 6'2". John Paul Richardson coming in from Oklahoma State who had over 500 receiving yards this past year. You have uh, Jojo Earl coming in from Alabama, a guy with a lot of speed who can maybe take over that H-slot position from Barber and Davis, and then Jack Beck, the tight end slash wide receiver from LSU who's coming in. So a lot of guys who are going to be competing for immediate time, and perhaps TCU is looking at a couple of those young guys, specifically Jordan Hudson and Cordell Russell and saying, you know, we, we got to find some playing time for these guys. Uh, we don't want to risk them leaving. This is just me spitball. And I, I don't know this for certain, but um, I think when you're trying to find playing time for X amount of guys, there are going to be one or two dudes that are unfortunately left out of the shuffle for one reason or the other. And, it's you know I hope Quincy Brown goes somewhere and starts right away. I think he's good enough to be a starter if he's healthy. But it's just unfortunate. And with Diarco Perkins being a safety, you've got Mark Perry coming back. Bud Clark's going to be back. Abe Kamara, he played a lot this year. He'll be back. You have Chase Biddle on the roster, who's a big-time four-star recruit from last year. And then right now you have three four-star safeties that are signed in your 2023 class between Javion Wilcox. Uh, Randon Fontenet and Jamel Johnson. And then don't forget about Warren Roberson, who's a four-star safety that's committed, could potentially be four four-star safeties on top of all the guys who are coming back. And and even someone like Nook Bradford, who's a, a senior that could use a COVID year and come back and be your starting nickel again. So just not enough playing time to, to go around. So a couple of these other guys, you know, Keon Stewart has played on and off the last few years, has had some injuries. But with Josh Newton coming back, even if you're losing Trey Tomlinson, you're losing Noah Daniels, who is a sixth-year senior, you're going to have a lot of guys competing for for that spot. You have Channing Canada, who's the number one Juco corner in the country coming in. Uh, Keontae Jenkins is on the roster. He's a former four-star guy. Tyron Chambers was a really popular name that people talked about last year. He was a freshman, so... lot of competition there again uh, Colt Ellison didn't really play much this year Marvin Covington Caleb Medford I don't really know how much they played at all and then Sam Jackson um, hope he wins the starting job at Cal and a a little shout out here to Kenny Hill because I know we brought him up briefly on the podcast last week he was a a quality control coach for for Cal this past year and uh, we, we joked about maybe Kenny Hill and Sonny Dykes pulling some strings to get Sam Jackson out there to, to Berkeley. And then about an hour, I think before we started recording the podcast, it was announced that Kenny Hill is now the associate head coach. And I believe wide receivers coach at incarnate word. So, uh, shout out Sam Jackson and also shout out Kenny Hill making his way in the, in the coaching ranks.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if Sonny Dykes needed a, uh, an offensive coordinator, he should have just brought in Kenny Hill. I think that would have been just fine. <laughs>
1: bring, bring the troll back.
0: <laughs> um, all right. No, I said we were moving on. Why did I bring that up? Um, okay. Uh, also, um, new, new recruits, new portal additions, uh, to the Frogs. So, um, Jackson State offensive lineman, Willis Patrick, who is not, Patrick Willis, the uh San Francisco 49ers former linebacker. Uh no, Willis Patrick from Jackson State um makes the leap up to Power 5 to join the Horn Frogs, a, a big body and to to fill a big hole as as the offensive line is is losing a lot of starters and and a lot of meat up front. So um, you know, he's, he's a starter there at Jackson state spent some time in division two as well, but, uh, he was a pretty, pretty well sought after, uh, transfer there, uh, from his time with Deion Sanders and, and could be looking to, to have playing time right away for the frogs. Uh, the other addition was defensive lineman, Rick Debreu from East Ca- East Carolina. And, uh, he didn't get to play a whole bunch this year. Um, but, uh, a little bit of a maybe a, a smaller if you see his weight, maybe smaller for a, a defensive lineman. So, uh, but is, is a great fit in the three three five, I think, and will be again another spot where TCU is losing some guys, and we'll need uh, to have all the depth that you can get. So um, maybe some depth additions here late in in this portal period. Um, but nice to to have some additions as well.
1: Yeah, Willis Patrick is a intriguing player because in Division Two at Angelo State, he was an All-American. He was a AP All-American, D2 CCA All-American, so one of the best players in the entire country at that level. He was a right tackle for Angelo State, played there for four years, made the move up to Jackson State to play for Deion Sanders, like you said, started all 14 games at, right tackle, and he's a big dude. He's 6'4", 347. So I'm curious to see. I, I kind of envision him kicking inside and potentially getting a chance to start at right guard because you're you're losing Wes Harris. You may be losing uh, some depth behind Wes Harris as well. I think John Lands might be done. I'm not sure if he has eligibility left, but um, some of those guys, those tackles, you see that have that much size, especially now that they're going up from, you know, I think it's FCS to to power five, maybe kick him inside to right guard. And with Andrew Coker coming back at right tackle, you got a guy that could potentially just be an absolute bulldozer with that kind of size at that interior position. So uh, really curious to see what kind of role he winds up with on the offensive line. And then uh, Rick Diabreu from East Carolina in 2021, he had three and a half sacks. Uh, 2020, he was also really productive. Only played in, I think, three or four games this year, but did have a really productive game against Central Florida, who's coming into the Big 12 now. Had one and a half sacks in that game. And uh, like you said, a little bit uh, smaller in size. I think he's 6'2", 260. So uh, going to be more of a more of an edge rusher, I feel, than a, a traditional defensive end in this 3-3-5, but you're, you're losing Dylan Horton, who's your leading sacker by a wide margin, and you're also losing some rotation guys like Terrell Cooper and George Ellis, and I think Sony Misi may may be done as well. Those are all guys that uh, were in the rotation. You have some notable names coming back, obviously Dominic Williams, uh, Tyman Mitchell, the Georgia transfer, Lawal Oogwak, the UConn transfer, Marcus Deal is a big-time four-star recruit with a lot of Division One size already at 6'4", 290, who could potentially come in and play right away. Uh, now you throw Diabreu into the mix, and uh, perhaps you can juice that pass rush up a little bit. So uh, overall, uh, just a, a really solid transfer class that TCU has put together when you consider all the moves that have been made since – the, the off-season cycle, I guess, started, and um, some of these guys that are, that are transferring out, you know, wish them all the best. Hopefully, they can uh, catch on somewhere and, you know, we'll be continuing to follow them as they hope to find their way.
0: Yeah, the one thing that uh, TCU has not added yet in the transfer portal or in this recruiting cycle is a quarterback, and um, it looked like it might have been LSU transfer high four-star, five-star Walker Howard, Um, he instead elected to go with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, um, transferring from one SEC West squad to another. Um, and, and TC was very much in the mix there. He had visited TCU, um, but ended up joining the quarterback room in Oxford that now also includes former Oklahoma state quarterback, Spencer Sanders. So along with the incumbent starter, Jackson Dart. Uh, quite a log jam at the quarterback position for Ole Miss, um, but Walker Howard took his his shot there rather than come and uh, compete against Chandler Morris here in Fort Worth.
1: Yeah, must have been scared off by Chandler Morris, I guess. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding there. I, I'm a little bummed out about this game. Uh, Curious why Spencer Sanders chose Ole Miss, to be honest. I think uh, for Walker Howard to come in and have a chance to compete against Jackson Dart, and I think, honestly, Walker Howard would probably have a better chance at beating out Jackson Dart than he would at beating out Chandler Morris. Maybe that's me wearing, as Anthony likes to say, the purple glasses, but uh, Jackson Dart, I think, has he's been a good player. He hasn't really blown anyone out of the water per se, but um, Lane Kiffin's got that bag. You know, he's, he's throwing the bag out to some of these guys and um, I don't know what's, what's the deal with Ole Miss, man. I mean, they take Zach Evans, they take Kari Coleman. Now they're beating TCU for Chris Marshall, that wide receiver from A&M Walker Howard. Maybe they're uh, they're sharing scouts or something. I don't I don't know what the deal is with with TCU being the the runner up to all Miss on all these on all these players, but it, it'll be an interesting quarterback shuffle for sure. I don't really envision Spencer Sanders playing much, and it's it's kind of strange because he's yeah he's played four years at Oklahoma State, so he's going to have one year left, and maybe he's getting a bag to hold the clipboard for a year. I, I I don't know. Maybe Lane Kiffin just told him, Hey, don't go to Auburn. Don't go to Florida. Let's uh, let's make an addition by subtraction in a sense, I guess. Yeah.
0: Just time. hoarding okay. all the quarterbacks, but you know, I, I'll say as much crap as I give Spencer Sanders, because I think he, he was a very flawed quarterback for Oklahoma state. He's also a very experienced quarterback. And if you know, uh, in, in off season with Lane Kiffin, in that Lane Kiffin offense, you know, I I think he, I think he's got a shot. I'm not going to discount him offhand. Just he's got that, that amount of experience. It's the kind of thing like, like Max Duggan this season um, had, had been very similar in that way to Spencer Sanders of, you know, he you'd get in that spot where he'd throw the bad pick and then you, you lose the game. And needed, a needed a fresh eyes of, of a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive system. And maybe that's the case for Spencer Sanders. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't bet on it, but, but, uh, I'm not going to throw him away. I think, I think he could go ahead and win that job. I, I'm not totally sure. We have no idea how good Walker Howard is. I mean, he got beat out, uh, pretty clearly at LSU and Jackson Dart, um, has bounced around and, and, has been up and down. So I don't know. I I could see Sanders making it happen there. Um, All right. So men's basketball time. We got to talk about another loss uh, for men's basketball. They go on the road in the midweek against West Virginia and drop a contest 65 to 74, moving to 0 and 11 in Morgantown. Uh, Never, never won in program history uh, there in West Virginia uh, since joining the big 12. And, uh, it's a, it's a real house of horrors. I mean, they, the frogs showed up and were immediately behind the eight ball right away. The get it, early fouls. I, I think, uh, the, the Mountaineers were in the bonus with like 12 minutes left to play, uh, in the first half The fouls were, were being called like crazy. They're, uh miles ball and Lamkin each had two fouls in the first half tcu dug a huge hole um in the first half that it just wasn't able to climb out of well i say that they they got the game within two in the second half um with opportunities to uh to keep it close and to take the lead but but after cutting it to two um kind of fell apart again and just just disappeared couldn't get anything going um you know, Coach Huggins really sent the house at Mike Miles. Uh, Miles had a great game, uh, over 20 points, his 20th straight game with, uh, in, in scoring in double digits. But, um, there in the final five minutes, really, they were, they were coming off, uh, double teams onto him where he was trying to get shots up in, in traffic that just were, were not really going to go, were not the best shots. And, um, then West Virginia hit all their free throws down the stretch, made a bunch of shots, and earned that win, their first win in conference this season. So uh, this conference is just a, an ab- absolute nightmare. It's a gauntlet. Everyone is excellent. Um, and it shows because next the, the poor Horn Frogs have to, have to take another trip to another House of Horrors and, and Fog Island Fieldhouse in lawrence kansas where it has also never won uh and they got to take on the defending champions kansas jayhawks coming off a bad tough uh loss in the in the sunflower showdown against their their rivals in manhattan uh so kansas will be very very motivated to uh to take down the frogs and it will be a very difficult atmosphere for the Frogs to get a win. And uh, if they do, it's, it's, um, it's a season making type of win. Uh, But there's, there's still a lot of basketball to be played ahead of uh, selection Sunday in March.
1: Yeah, this is, we joked before the podcast about this West Virginia game was the classic trap game. Like you're coming off the emotional high of getting a huge win against Kansas State really controlling that game for nearly all of the 40 minutes and um, you know, winning that game against a team that was really hot coming in. I think Kansas State was 15-1 and one and had gone from unranked to number 11 in the country in a matter of you know a week or two. So uh, a huge win there. And then you have Kansas, as you said, on the road the following weekend, but sandwiched in between um, – this is like an Oreo cookie, but you take the frosting out and you put toothpaste inside <laughs> of it instead. It's like you, you got to gotcha. go out to Morgantown on a on a on a weeknight on the road against a team that was winless in, in conference, and you know teams I think are starting to figure out how to to beat TCU. Iowa State showed it. I think West Virginia showed it. It's if you just slow the game down to an absolute snail's pace. And force TCU to do almost everything in the half court, it becomes much more difficult for the Frogs to score because Mike Miles is really the only dynamic scorer that you have on the team. You know, Damian Baugh is more of a distributor, struggles to create his own shot at times. Emmanuel Miller, I think, has expanded his offensive game, has knocked down a lot more three-point shots, deserves credit for that but he's a guy that you got to get him the ball, you know, in some of the right spots to to allow him to go to work. And Eddie Lampkin the same thing. Uh, Chuck O'Bannon frankly has really struggled to find any kind of rhythm and he's too experienced and too good of a shooter to be playing this poorly. He's he's a guy that's got to start picking it up because TCU is a poor three-point shooting team as it is, but he's one of the few guys on the team that's expected to help spread the floor and knock down some of those shots. And if he's not doing that teams can easily start sagging off of him on defense. You know, they they don't have to worry about guarding him really hard on the three point line because he's only shooting 31% from three point range when that should be closer to 38 or 39%. So Uh, Jacoby Coles has had some pretty good games off the bench I wonder if Jamie Dixon maybe makes an adjustment and maybe gives Jacoby Coles a shot in the starting lineup and and brings O'Bannon off the bench just to maybe try something a little different Uh, Micah Peavy I don't think he played in this game he's been out last couple games with an injury I think
0: yeah back injury yep
1: yeah but I think for for TCU what I've noticed as well is they're falling behind early in a lot of these games, and to to give TCU credit, they came back against Texas Tech. They came back against Baylor. Chuck O'Bannon hit the big shot there. Uh, almost came back to beat Iowa State, and then the Cyclones hit a a heartbreaker of their own. They can't keep falling behind in the first half in in these Big Twelve games. It's like they they fall down by twelve, by fifteen, by eighteen, and it's just a, a struggle and a a grind to get back into the game and by that point you you expend all your energy with you know a minute or two left and it's it's just gonna be a, a struggle to consistently close out games, especially against big twelve teams, when you're putting yourself in an early hole all the time. And the the half court turnovers are a big reason for that. A lot of offensive fouls, bad passes in the half court, Uh, questionable shot selection, I think, at times. I really enjoyed how TCU played through Eddie Lampkin against Kansas State. Maybe that was just a matchup thing, but uh, could be something to maybe prioritize over these next couple of games, because Lampkin really struggled against West Virginia. So,
0: Um, I'll tell you though, he had some, he had a stretch that was just like super fun where he was looking like Nikola Jokic out there. He, he had a, he had a point center. He had a steal. He took the steal, the length of the court and put like a Euro step across a guy for a lay in. It was just like, oh man, Eddie Lampkin's got it. He's, he's got it going on. He can
1: do though. Like that's, he's, he's capable of. (laughs) a lot more. And I think there are just some games where he fades into the background a little bit, at least on the offensive end. I think he's been a a consistent rebounder for most of the season, but I think when he's able to find his offense, it makes TCU so much better because it, it takes pressure off of Mike miles and it takes pressure off of, uh, guys settling for jump shots, because as I said, you know, TCU, I don't even want to look up what TCU is shooting from three point range uh, on the season. I'm sure it's probably close to 30%, if not lower than that. So I, I just think when they're able to get him involved early in games and allow him to find his offense, it makes scoring in the half court, especially a lot easier.
0: Yeah. And, and I know plus minus doesn't tell a whole story, but just the, the really negative minutes that are coming from the bench, uh, Rondell Walker played six minutes was a minus seven on the floor. Uh, Shahada Wells played six minutes was a minus six. Um, you, you just can't have those empty, complete, uh, those are devastating minutes. Um, to, to be getting cooked like that, and and um, you know you mentioned Lampkin's uh, work on the boards at, at rebounding. I think one thing that was was really a, a killer in this game. Lampkin ended up fail, fouling out with like six minutes left in the game. Um, Xavier Cork got got a lot of run in this one and only had one rebound on the game. Um, he uh, uh, West Virginia. Was really able to take advantage down low. They scored a ton of points in the paint. They toward, scored a ton of second uh, chance opportunities with a bunch of offensive rebounds. Um, you know, TCU was able to actually, you know, force missed shots in this game at, at a pretty high rate, but just couldn't haul in those rebounds and were just giving up a lot down low as well. So, I think some of that is Lampkin was in foul trouble. He was trying to play a little bit tentative. He did turn on the energy in the second half but he fouled out with a lot of time left and ended up you know on the bench for the key minutes down the stretch so um you know it's the kind of thing where he just can't get himself in those those foul situations early some of those were really ticky tack I mean there was there was one where he just set a screen uh and they they called a moving screen like they're want to do sometimes and it's like well that's that's one you uh, are rarely called and it's called in the first half it was just a you know it's, it's a tough look. And if that's the kind of thing that's going to get called on him, he's, he's going to have some trouble. So, uh, some things to work on for the horn frog basketball team headed into a huge contest on Saturday on, on CBS, main CBS, the big, you know, all of your great grandparents can watch the game, uh, w- without their cable boxes or their ESP plus subscription. So, um, exciting to be on that stage and hopefully, uh, this is a stage where uh, TCU Athletics steps up and and uh, maybe can go get a win. Um, some other exciting things around TCU sports. I know we're probably running a little bit long, but we'll close it up here with the, with a couple of quick ones. So uh, TCU Men's Tennis has gotten underway. They are currently ranked number three in uh, the NCAA rankings. Um, got wins the past week over Abilene Christian and SMU. Um during the indoor season just opened, uh, so two and zero to start the season, and TCU tennis is super fun. You know, I've I've I said it when we when we were doing the podcast last year, kind of recapping things, and get yourself out to some tennis matches. It's just a great time, especially once it goes outdoor. Um, the indoor is a bit small; it's a bit cramped. You don't have much space to. There's no seating or anything. You're just kind of hanging on a balcony. So, um, you know, if uh, if Jeremiah Donati's been listening this far, my, my next request would be for a, for a uh, facility upgrade. Is get that indoor facility to where you can have uh, some stadium seating, some some real fan presence there for for indoor tennis. Um, but it's a really great time. I definitely encourage you to go out and support that program because they're fantastic. Uh, really dominant play. And it's, it's just a fun time. I mean, the, the crowd gets, gets really into it. Um, so, and it's free, go to the tennis matches. Um, Luke Famba, Jake Fernley, Louis Maxted, Sander Jong, the whole team, uh, they've just been, they've just been on a tear and, you know, they, I think they certainly have come in focused and, and ready to, uh, Take the indoor national championship, maybe back to back, and and really take the the big one um, later this summer. Um, also in TCU tennis, former Frog Cam Nori, the 11 seed in the Australian Open, uh, won his second round match over Constant Lestien from France. Uh, took that he had one of one of those. The great thing about the Australian Open is some of these matches. Uh, got to wake up and watch Cam Nori at like uh, 7 a.m. So that was pretty cool. Um, but he he was really good. had a had a big set where he came back uh, from a few games down to win in tiebreakers, and then ended up uh, winning the match. His round three contest is actually probably going to start here about the time that we stop recording. So maybe I'll uh, I'll sign off here and. And go turn that on and, and watch his third round match against Yeri Lecheka. I don't know Yeri. Um, <laughs> so Cam Nor, exciting things. Hopefully he can keep things going. Um, Rafa Nadal is already out of the Australian Open. Djokovic is injured. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, there's there's an open opportunity if if he can really make a run here. Maybe he uh, could go deep in this major contest. Um, Also, preseason rankings have come out for baseball. TCU is ranked at number 15 in the preseason rankings um, and are at uh, 50 to one to win the College World Series. So, you know, if you are in a state where it is legal to do so, you know, maybe you find yourself uh, wagering on the Frogs to go take the College World Series in Omaha this year. Um, they do open the season a month from now, February 17th through 19th in Arlington at the Rangers ballpark at Globe Life Field, um, taking on number 10 Vanderbilt, number eight, Arkansas and Missouri to open the season and anything on any of that Russ, I just ran through that really quick.
1: <laughs> no, I think that's a, first of all, that's a super exciting, super challenging start of the season for baseball. Um, th- those SEC opponents and uh, TCU and those SEC baseball schools, those are always great matchups to watch. So uh, looking forward to uh, watching TCU baseball get the season started. And Cam Norrie, I always reflect on some of my TCU 360 articles that I did back when I was a, a young sports journalism student at uh, the Schieffer College. And I was in sports journalism class, and one of our assignments was that we had to do a couple of uh, like news feature stories. So you had—I think I did one on shot blocking, where I interviewed uh, Chris Washburn and Kavar Shepard and learned a little bit about the, the intricacies of, of shot blocking. And the other one was doubles tennis, because in these tennis matches, they, you know, they play doubles to get the first point of the match, and then it goes into singles after that and they're usually five or six uh singles matches but uh trevor johnson and cam nori were the two athletes that i actually interviewed and talked to about doubles tennis because they were tcu's number one doubles team at the time and uh cam i don't know if he was even tcu's top singles player at this point he might have been the the second or third and and i remember talking to to David Roditty uh about him because I did a couple of interviews with him as well after covering some tennis matches and just kind of a j- just kind of crazy to think about like you 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 did an interview with uh an athlete like him who goes on to and Cam Norrie's been playing at a high level on the international tennis stage for a few years now. You know, he's not he, he's not really in that phase where he's a uh, fresh face on the block you know he's been playing really well for the last few years so just kind of a cool thing I like to reflect on it makes me feel a little old but uh, excited to to see Cam Norrie go on and and do great things and could be a, another frogs in the pros article uh, in the works uh, coming up depending on how things shake out for him at the at the Aussie Open
0: with that, uh, I think we'll close it here again. As always, we thank you all for, for listening, for following us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribing on YouTube, reading everything that, that we're throwing up on, uh, on Frogs of War. Um, a lot of really fun stuff has been going up. Our, our guys have been getting really involved and, and excited to put out great content on, on basketball and, all the exciting other sports that are that are happening right now: swimming and diving. Um, we're we're about to get into equestrian season. Rifle, of course, is doing its thing as the top team in the in the nation. So, um, lots of positive things happening for TCU athletics, um, and we'll keep bringing it all to you at Frogs of War. Thanks, go frogs.